seven, which means the finish line of the regular season is visible. We've still got a little ways to go, but you can you feel it in the air. And we're recording this, and it was a high of 80 in Johnstown on Wednesday. By kickoff Friday, it's going to feel more like October, October 6th. This is the TD Club. I am Sean Curtis at Sean Curtis 430 on any social that you can think of, Twitter or X, Threads, Blue Sky, heck, even Instagram if you want to see pictures of my cats, Mike Mastovich, Masty81 on Twitter slash X, or Mike Masty on Instagram. Mike, how's it going? Uh, getting ready for the home stretch here, man. It's uh, going to be that crunch time of the year, so all the games seem bigger at this point. A, a big one in week six, at least for McCourt Carroll Catholic. The Crushers get their first one of the season. They defeat Greater Johnstown 42-0. That was at Sargent Stadium at the point. And we, we talked about this game at length in last week's episode about, okay, hey, yeah, you have two 0-5 teams, but this is still a rivalry. This is still a game that means a lot to the players on the field. And you read the comments in Saturday's edition of the Tribune Democrat, especially from Coach Tom Smith, and it meant something to the coaches too. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, they, McCord had an 11-game losing streak. Johnstown, uh, you know, came in with 35 straight losses. So it meant something. You want to get that L, you know, off your back and get something positive going. And as Coach Smith said last week in the previews, he felt on the back end of the schedule there were some opportunities. He wasn't talking smack on other teams, but they were games. It's a little bit different going, you know, than going against, say, a Richland. Uh, so, um, yeah, in this game, Brock Bepler, a huge night uh, for McCord Carroll. 148 rushing yards, 17 carries, four touchdowns. And, um, you know, with two teams looking for their first win, you couldn't ask for uh, more impact than that. Johnstown, uh, another shutout loss. Uh, five of their six losses come via shutout, which is, um, you know, disappointing for Coach Reed and uh, and the Trojan fans. So, um, as we said, 36 consecutive setbacks. Um the Crushers, 249 rushing yards out of their 285. So uh, a lot of good uh, action on the ground there for the uh, Crushers. And reading the recap in Saturday's paper, it really felt like it was just a case of McCourt Carroll just didn't make the mistakes. And that's uh, been something that's plagued Johnstown throughout the season. Coach Antoine Reed talks about it a lot. He he says the little things, you know, they, they got to get those little things right. And when you have – mistakes on little things, uh, one or two or three or four, they keep adding up and they become, in his words, a big thing. And there's a, uh, you could see promise there. Uh, and, and when you talk to Antoine, I mean, uh, you could tell like he's a believer and the, the stuff that uh, he's trying to teach his players, everything makes sense. It's just a matter of uh, getting that, that first W would be huge and then start taking some steps in the right direction and uh, get things turned around from a program that just five, six years ago was you know, dominant at a lot of stages and uh, in, in playing for championships. Evan McCracklin, the uh, senior running back at Richland, claimed the program's all-time touchdown record in the Rams' win over Somerset this past week. And you, especially in recent years, just in the Brandon Bailey era especially, to claim that scoring record, that's an accomplishment. And he's still got a lot of season to go to stack onto that. What a player. Uh, Evan McCracken, he's been a consistent, productive player throughout his whole career because he started uh, getting a lot of experience as a young player, but especially the last two years. He's a great leader, too, leader by example. He was out a couple weeks ago with that injury at the end of the game. Everybody's worried what's going to happen at Forest Hills when he came out, had an incredible game at Forest Hills. 
Uh, he was working out on the field before the game, and I thought, man, this looks like somebody you'd see in a gym, like just chiseled, and uh, the guy just puts in the work. So uh, for him, he needed two touchdowns to tie the the record, which was um, Tanner Slarczyk, another great runner, uh, Point Stadium Award winner from probably close to a decade ago. But uh, McCracken scores four touchdowns. He now has 55 career TDs at Richland, um, breaking the record. He had, in this game, he had 175 yards on 12 carries against Somerset, a team that came in that game kind of streaking, and uh, both of them were undefeated in the uh, this section, the, the West uh, won. So this was a big game, and then uh, Richland took care of business, and uh, Somerset will have to regroup. Speaking of very talented runners, there was one – that just ran all over the field in Davidsville for Northern Cambria in a win over Connemont Township. Mike, what can you tell me? Well, Northern Cambria, five straight wins since that season opening loss to United Valley, which is an undefeated team. The Colts, Jack Schrady, uh, 313 rushing yards. That's and a lot. Five touchdowns. That's, that's a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and a 42-23 win over Connemont Township. Another team still looking for that first win, which we'll talk about later. The Colts uh, behind Jack uh, his 313, they ended up rushing for 502 yards overall, and you can say it again. That's a lot. Okay. So uh, a great effort uh, by the Colts. They kind of shrugged off that opening loss and uh, kind of streaking along. And I think they're, like, especially with that season opening loss, and they weren't dominant in when they started picking up those early season wins. I, I think I was, like, a little skeptical of, like, okay, can't this team defend that 1A crown? But – you know, right now, I mean, you look at what the Colts have done. I mean, they're picking up speed. I mean, to, and it just looks like, I don't want to say they're peaking, but it looks like they know when they're going to have to peak. And they've, yeah, they're doing it at the right time, and they've faced a lot of adversity. We talked on this podcast a couple times about the guys they've lost via injury and how they shifted around some talented players. Ty Dunn was leading the area in receiving, and suddenly, you know, when Ethan Donatelli goes down, he was leading the area in passing yards. You know, Ty Dunn moves over to the quarterback, and, you know, it seems like they haven't missed a step, uh, you know, and I'm not sure what the injury situation will be, if anybody's coming back or, you know, over time here, but – these are guys that uh, seem like they're prepared to adapt on the run. The game that Mike Masovich was at this past Friday, and it's rare that we put his game all the way down on the fourth bullet point in the look back, but this is where Lynn Brothers Valley turning away Myersdale, and you look at the score, okay, hey, you know, probably what you might have expected, but it was how Berlin won and what it had to do to get there. Yeah, speaking of the word adapted, maybe I used it on uh, one segment early. <laughs> they they have uh, every. We always talk about Pace Prosser, the four year starter, a quarterback safety, phenomenal player on both sides of the ball, phenomenal leader, a guy who led the the basketball team to the state championship game, just a great player. Well, he got banged up last week uh, before before the Myersdale game, and um, came out. That was a game-time decision, according to Coach Paul, when I talked to him after the game. And he said, Pace is one of those guys that said, Coach, I'm playing. And they had prepared for this. They prepared for him not playing, but they also prepared, if he did play, to put in what Coach Paul called max protection. Well, first off, I noticed on the very first series, Berlin was on defense, no Pace Prosser. And, and I looked at safety, and they made a couple moves. I thought, okay, so I wonder if he'll play at quarterback. We came out at quarterback – and they had it that there were no design runs. I mean, if, if somebody if there was like a play that something got messed up, you know, he would try to move around a little bit. But he did not run at all. And you know, Pace Prosser, that's one of his 
uh, makes him so deadly on the field is that he can pass the ball, you know, like a rifle, but he can run, you know. So he was basically passing with very little movement. I mean, they, they, they adapted very well. The line really did well. They ran, uh, you know, some play action. Pace had a touchdown on a play action. They ran a great fake that initially when I tweeted, I credited Pace with the touchdown pass, and it was Hayden Hutzel. Uh, they, they did a lot of different things to protect Pace, but also got a little creative. And uh, Berlin beats its uh, border rival, Myersdale, which, uh, you know, didn't play a bad game, but uh, just kind of was overmatched. Our final game of the Week 6 look back, it's United Valley. The Lions are now 6-0. and and all they're doing is just passing every test put in front of them. This one was a shutout at Penn's Manor, a 14-0 victory. And this was one of those games, I think, that really establishes that United Valley is serious, even if you look at the field in AA and, okay, well, hey, like, you know, who have they beaten? They've beaten what's in front of them and what they've beaten, good football teams. And United, as you said, shut out last week. They've only allowed six points in the last two games. Their defense, no opponent has scored more than 14 points against the Lions. I believe two managed to get 14. Three of their six wins had opponents either scoring in single digits or a goose egg. So that's a pretty solid defense, and that's, as they say, wins your championships. I, I mean, they're not blowing teams out. I mean, they're winning by an average score of 23-9. to nine. So, But, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, defense travels. And we're getting to the month where traveling is is a very necessary thing. Week seven, look ahead. Hey, how about those Lions? They're going to be at purchase line. That's going to be a bit of a travel for them. And this is going to be one of those games in the late season that is going to dictate how the Heritage Conference shakes out. And also how the District 6 playoff picture is going to shake out in multiple classifications. Really great matchup. United uh, Valley has won nine in a row dating the last season. Purchase line, as you said, five and one at this point. They've won two straight since the overtime loss against Northern Cambria in week four, which was another battle of juggernauts in the heritage. So uh, Caden McCauley, United Valley, is uh, 691 rushing yards on 91 carries, uh, 11 touchdowns, 66 points. He's a guy we've been talking about for several years uh, doing his thing. And we, we talked about their defense. Dylan Stevens, he's among the area leading tacklers with 57. So, you know, that, that's some of the, the high points of United. Purchase line uh, last week at Portage, they trailed by as many as 13 points, and they scored 18 in a row to win the game, 38-27. So they're a team that uh, lost, uh, you know, a tight game in overtime, and, and they've been winning some of these tight games. And it looks like they're a dual threat, too, because John Alec, he's thrown for 750 yards and 10 touchdowns. Brock Small, he's rushed for 717 yards and 10 TDs. Alec has 539 rushing yards and five touchdowns. I mean, every week when I'm doing those capsules and I get to the purchase line, these are the, the same names keep coming up because the guys have been consistent. To the Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference, unbeaten Chestnut Ridge is going to visit Penn Cambria. The Panthers are 5-1 and one, and a very tough out in Crescent, which is where this game is taking place. And, Mike, this is you're getting toward the end of the season and it like typical Laurel Highlands schedule where it just seems like they have a game of the year every week after about week five. 
Yeah, Chestnut Ridge, I, I, they've been in a lot of them over the years, too. I can remember a few. Penn Cambria, five straight wins since they lost at Richland, a five-point loss on the road at Richland, a real tough place to play. So they were kind of upset, as we've mentioned before. After that game, they thought they could have won that. So, you know, they're, they're very close to being an undefeated team, uh, and, and they've won five in a row. And we've said it before also about Coach Nick Felis. Um, He's established what he calls that mountain mentality. I interviewed him for the preview this week, and he repeatedly brought up the mountain mentality. And that's a sense of pride for them there. They said they feel they made that venue in Crescent. It's a place, it's a tough place to play. It always was. I remember back in the days when it was called the Tundra, whenever they were playing in November there. But they, they have their players believing in this mountain mentality, um, chip on the shoulder type thing, and confidence. Uh, they lost so much graduation last year, kind of showed people, hey, we can keep this thing rolling. So uh, definitely uh, a tough place to play in Chestnut Ridge with uh, Coach Max Shoemaker. There's as veteran as you're going to get. If there's somebody that knows how to play a tough game on the road, it's Max Shoemaker and his staff. Chestnut Ridge, they've used balance with uh, quarterback Nate Wysong, 902 passing yards and eight touchdowns. His cousin Chase Wysong, 422 receiving yards. And then they, they run a lot of uh, – you know they can run the fakes because their fullback, Jeb Emmerich, rushed for 612 yards. So they could do a lot of play action. They do a lot of options. So it's going to be a great game when you see guys like McDermott and Gavin Harold both have about 464-71 receiving yards. And Brady Jones, the guy who replaced uh, Garrett Harold, has 995 passing yards and 15 TDs. So done a great job in filling in for a guy that everybody thought, wow, how are they going to replace this guy? And Garrett Harold probably was head and shoulders one of the best quarterbacks in the area this past season. And to go from Garrett Harold, you were always going to have what a lot of people perceive to be a drop-off. But here's the thing. Brady Jones has proven to be more than capable of being the Panthers quarterback of the present and moving forward. And he could reach that height. Yeah, 15 touchdown passes in six weeks. That's pretty solid. I, there's a great team around him. That, and you, you said it where... They suffered some heavy losses in graduation, but they they filled in. And, I mean, that's that's coaching the kids up in the junior high program. That's coaching the kids up in the junior varsity program, probably coaching them up all the way from the youth program. And you've had that. They're coming off that great success in the basketball program as well, went deep in the state playoffs. And I don't know how many guys are dual sport, but, I mean, that mentality kind of uh, soaks between both of those sports. Even if you're not on that basketball team, you probably experienced it following those guys and – there's like a winning mentality up, up there in, in these classes that are coming through now. Somebody's going to leave Davidsville on Friday with a taste of the winning mentality. Connemaw Valley, 0-6. Connemaw Township, 0-6. Somebody's going to win on Friday. It's in Davidsville. This is a clash of former Westpac mates. They both hopped to the Heritage Conference together during the offseason coming into 2023. Mike... What, what are your thoughts here? Well, this is kind of a repeat of what we talked about last week with McCourt, Carroll, and Greater Johnson, each looking for that elusive first win. Well, Connemont Township, they've been scoring some points. I mean, 73 points scored in the last three games. But in the same time, they've given up 138 points in those three games. And they've allowed 34 or more points in every game but the season opener. So they, they've got to tighten up that defense. Uh, Connemaw Valley, they, they use that uh, run-oriented offense with the you know, double tight, double wing often. And uh, they've, they have been having difficulty finding the end zone. They scored in single digits three times, and they were shut out in another game. And they have 48 points in six weeks. So uh, that's not a winning for them, but they've also allowed 211. So um, they've lost eight in a row since last season. Township has dropped 10 in a row since last season. Both of these guys got to be hungry for, for that W. 
back to the LHAC, Forest Hills, Central Cambria. Both of these teams are 3-3, three and three, and you're in Week 7. We'll get into the playoff picture in more focus later. But right now, if the playoffs were to start today, Forest Hills is in 7th place in District 6, Class 2A. Central Cambria sitting in the 9 spot. This is going to be a big one in terms of who may make or who may not make the playoffs in 2A. Huge, huge, definitely. And Forest Hills, they had a nice bounce back win, uh, you know, 42 to 14 over Bedford last week. And they scored 28 unanswered points in the second half. It was kind of what they needed after a, a, a tough one uh, previously with Richland. And uh, Chase Williamson, you know, he's been among the receiving leaders, 21 catches, 344 yards. And Nate Cornell has really emerged as a quarterback since last year, 895 passing yards and 10 touchdowns. So I liked what I saw when I saw uh, Forest Hills against Richland, even though it was, you know, a one-sided game. I, you could see they they have, uh, you know, some toughness there and some talent. So, uh, that's uh, one thing. And in Central Cambria, they want to try to regain some of the positive vibes you know, they had through that 3-1 and one start. Uh, they've lost to Penn Cambria and Chestnut Ridge in back-to-back weeks, but those are two teams with a combined 11-1 and one record. So uh, Grady Snyder, third in the area with 724 rushing yards. He has nine touchdowns. So uh, this, this, as you said, there's such importance in the standings, and uh, both of these teams have the capability to make this one uh, a memorable game. Another Heritage Conference game that is going to have a ripple effect not only in the Heritage Conference standings, but in multiple classifications in District 6, and that's Northern Cambria traveling to Blairsville to take on River Valley. Both teams are 5-1 and one right now. If the playoffs were to start today, River Valley is your 4 seed in District 6 2A. Northern Cambria would be the 3 seed in 1A. And again, we, we talked about Northern Cambria starting to pick up steam a little bit. Here's a River Valley team that... Went 0-9 in the Heritage Conference last season. Their only win was a win over Everett in Week 10. And now this team is 5-1 and and looking very, very good in the process. Interesting that uh, that first week when I was at Conemaugh Valley for the dedication, the John Jake Jacoby Field, um, there were three legends of uh, Blairsville, and now that's part of River Valley there, uh, with Ernie Widmar and uh, Rick Artley and Abdatori. And, they were talking to me before the game, and they were saying, like, just what you said, I can't believe you know, we went 0-9 last year, but there, there's pieces are there. We, we think they're going to have another step. They were talking about youth program for even farther down the line. They were telling me, and I thought, I wonder, you know, like, are they just saying that to make me, you know, but they seem to have some conviction, and it's, it sure is showing showing now. Uh, they, you know, they're 5-1. They're and one. The lone loss was purchase line in week two. Uh, they've Panthers have scored 40 or more points three times in the past four weeks. That's pretty solid. And we mentioned that uh, Northern Cambridge lost the United Valley, kind of a distant memory at this point. The Colts have scored 170 points during their five-game winning streak while allowing 76. And that win over Purchase Line during the streak, uh, overtime, that was uh, one of the huge tests. And, and as now we're going to see another test with River Valley. And then they got Penn's Manor in Week 8. So, you know, Northern Cambridge, this is, uh, it's there to be taken, but you're going to have to step up pretty, pretty big. And the vibe that I got, when, like going all the way back to the beginning of August uh, during Heritage Conference Media Day at Connemaw Valley, was talking to some of the coaches, it really felt like that demolition derby was going to start in week six. And now you're seeing, you're seeing the big cars collide every week now. Yeah, great schedule. Yes, exactly, uh, with the Heritage. All right, we're going to let Mike uh, hydrate for a second here as I lead into the stats package. And Mike... 
We publish this every Thursday in the Tribune Democrat. If you didn't catch it in the physical copy, the e-edition is online at tribdem.com. Mike, what, breaking down the stats leaders, and there's an interesting anomaly um, in the rushing stats because there's a player who's missed two and a half games but is still near the top of yeah. the leaderboard. I mentioned earlier Jack Shreedy of uh, Northern Cambria. He's moved into the rushing league with 874 rushing yards. Uh, Wimbers injured Luke Hostetler is still second with 844 yards, but as you said, he was injured in the third quarter against Myersdale and has missed two and a half games since then. And then uh, third, we have the aforementioned Grady Snyder of Central Cambria with 724 rushing yards. On the receiving end, we have uh, Penn Cambria, Carter McDermott, 471 receiving yards. Wimbers, Evan Brady, he's having a heck of a year receiving 462 yards from Tanner Barkley. That combo has uh, really emerged. And then Penn Cambria's Gavin Harold, 460 yards. Uh, the Penn Cambria guys make the, you know, the sandwich there with uh, Brady in the middle. Uh, passing, uh, we've talked about him a couple times this year. Richland freshman, Grayson, Mala, uh, 1,189 passing yards and 10 touchdowns. That's a lot. And you've got... The grizzled veteran, North Star senior, Connor Yoder, he's been uh, having a fantastic year. 1,146 passing yards and 12 touchdowns. Scoring, uh, North Star's Ethan Smith, he has 10 touchdowns in the past two games. He had and five. he went off against Everett. He had five against Wimber two weeks ago and five against Everett last week. Uh, he has an area high, 21 touchdowns and 128 points. That's a lot. Okay. Kick scoring, we got our two uh, two uh, usual Wimber, Bryson Costa, 30 PATs, three field goals, 39 points. Berlin's Connor Montgomery, 24 PATs, four field goals, 36 points. He would add a fifth field goal. Uh, right before the half, they, they kicked one, uh, attempted one uh, from 30-ish yards. And, man, didn't have the distance, but just went a little tad left. But, boy, he, he put it into that field behind the uh, Snyder complex. So uh, – Tackles, we talked about Shreedy with 77. Cambria Heights, Luke Mulraney and Berlin's Cody Kimmel each with 69. Sacks, we still have Ligonier Valley's Bryce Vita with six. Interceptions, Malachi Carr of Myersdale and Cambria Heights, Marshall Eckenrode and Berlin's Pace Prosser each have five picks. As we said, Pace didn't play safety last week, so uh, he's still at the top. Now, looking ahead to the playoff picture, I shouldn't say looking ahead, but we're looking at what's in front of us right now. We'll start in District 6 uh, with a Greater Johnstown at 0-6. They're the third team out of three in Class 4A in District 6. In 3A, you still have all four teams at 500 or better. Central is top of the heap with 690 points. And you have Penn Cambria at 5-1 and one at 550. Tyrone and Somerset, each at 3-3. Three and three. Tyrone has 330 points, and Somerset has 310. It looks like all four of those teams, conceivably, could be seeing action in Week 11. In Class 2A, Bald Eagle area leads Richland by a scant 10 points. Both teams are 6-0 right now. Bald Eagle area has 770. Richland has 760. And it looks that if things keep going as they're going, these two teams are going to see each other in Week 10. United is six and zero, or United Valley, I should say, is six and zero at six hundred ninety points. And then you go through from four through eight. It's River Valley, Mount Union, Penns Valley, Forest Hills, and Bishop Guilfoyle, 
Central Cambry is tied with Bishop Guilfoyle right now at 330 points. I don't know if there's a tiebreaker in play other than Bishop Guilfoyle just comes in front of Central Cambry and the alphabet. But that would be decided, obviously, in Week 10 or after Week 10 when the time comes. Uh, you've got West Shemokin at 3-3, three and three, 30 points back of the 8th place spot at 300 points. Westmont Hilltop at 2-4 at 230 and then you have some 1-5 and five teams, Belladanis, Huntington, Phillipsburg, Osceola, and then Southern Huntington is 0-6. In Class A, Purchase Line is 5-1 and one atop of the heap at 660 points. Juniata Valley is your second seed right now. Northern Cambry also 5-1 and one, along with Juniata Valley and Purchase Line at 580 in third place. Cambry Heights is the only 4-2 and two team right now in the field in single A. Right now they're at 480 points. Five through eight is Claysburg Kimmel at three and three, Mushana Valley at three and three. Both of those teams have 340 points. Penns Manor is your seventh seed right now. If everything were to start today at three and three, 320 points. And West Branch, two and four, 260 points. Homer Center, Portage, also two and four. They'd be nine, 10 right now on the outside looking in. McCourt Carroll with its win is currently your 11th place team. Marion Center, Glendale, Connemaw Valley round out the field. The Stingers, Vikings, each one and five. Connemaw Valley, 0 oh and six. Now, we go to District 5. In the 2A rankings, Westinghouse is still atop that sub-region 5-8 heap. Uh, they have 48 standings points. Uh, have a rating of 9.60 because they've only played five games compared to the six that Chestnut Ridge has played. So right now, the Westinghouse would be the top seed. And this is your defending sub-region champion. Chestnut Ridge at 6-0. Berlin Brothers Valley at 5-1. And, and then you have three 1-5 teams. And who knows out of those three if three or four wins is good enough to say, hey, let's go to the playoffs. That would be Perry Traditional Academy out of District 8, Bedford, and Everett. Now going into single A, and this is going to be fun. We, I think we've talked about this in the office a little bit more than we've talked about it on the podcast. And that is what's shaping up to be a very big set of weeks for your top seed in single A right now, which is Northern Bedford County at 6-0. and And this is one of those teams we talked about at Gary Black saying, hey, this is a generational team. We've been waiting on this team for a long time. You still have Winbrook on the schedule. You still have North Star on the schedule. Those teams are 5-1. and one. So those matchups not only are going to help you decide the Intercounty Conference South division, but also where you're going to be playing and who you're going to be playing come district playoff time. You've got Myersdale three and three, so I think right there your field is almost set. Tuskegee Mountains at one and five, Connemaw Township is zero and six. Obviously, a big collapse by Myersdale and a surge by either Tuskegee Mountain or Connemaw Township may shake things up. But it looks like your four teams out of single A probably are going to be Northern Bedford, Winbur, North Star, and Myersdale in some kind of an order. I think it's time to go into the time machine, Mike. Here we go. All right, so. Friday flashback, and I finally feel vindicated. I, as the resident Laurel Valley graduate in the newsroom, the only Laurel Valley graduate in the newsroom, I, I feel vindicated because the 1993 Laurel Valley Rams finally get some love, <laughs> as does the 1973 Greater Johnstown Votech football team. Exactly. Mike, take it away. Yeah. Football flashback Friday. Yeah, so... Um this week, uh, a lot of cool stuff in the microfilm and in the clip files, but going right to what Sean had mentioned, October 16th, 1993. Uh, this is amazing stuff here for Laurel Valley, pitched its sixth shutout in seven games. And uh, the uh, Rams, 
They had five interceptions, limited United to a net 29 rushing yards. Uh, I found this amazing. The Rams had only given up 14 points that season. That was all by Marion Center. That was through seven weeks they allowed 14 points. I remember that was a thing that kept happening. Uh, they went deep, deep, deep in the playoffs, and that team's defense was just phenomenal. And uh, they had some big rushing there. You, uh, you could say the guy's name? Eric Baird. Eric Baird, yes. Uh, 38-0 win. That was over rival United. Baird ran for 110 yards on only 10 carries, 71 return yards, three touchdowns. But what a game by the Rams 30 years ago in Week 7. And I have a feeling that United didn't pass it many more times than just those five times they were intercepted, maybe about three or four more attempts. But, Probably. yeah, that secondary was not to be messed with, especially – in the Appalachian North in 1993, not a lot of teams were throwing the football around. If I remember, I think 93, was that the year Chris Kuzminski was our defense player yes. of the year? Yeah, that kid was phenomenal from Laurel Valley. Yeah. Uh, another one, 10 years ago in Week 7, Greater Johnstown quarterback Jeremy Updike, he passed for 211 yards, three TDs, and he ran for a score. The Trojans overcame a pair of 14-point deficits and beat rival Bishop McCourt Catholic 41-31 at Trojan Stadium. The uh, Johnstown had scored 24th quarter points and held the Crushers to three in that frame. So that was interesting. I and then almost think I think I was at that game actually. Like I was reading that, I was like, "Hey, wasn't I? like?" And I didn't go back to like look at my old bylines, but I think I was at that game. Well, yeah, hey, that was uh, you know it was only 10 years ago. We're talking about 36 game losing streak, but th that that program had some really good moments. Uh, you know, in the four or five years before this streak started. And really, the troubles only started in, what, 2019 for them? Yeah, 18 and 19, yeah. So 50 years ago, this was back to the microfilm, junior running back Bob Cooster returned the opening kickoff 80 yards for a touchdown. He added a rushing touchdown. It's greater Johnstown Votek ended a four-game losing streak, 26-7 to win over Bishop Carroll in Evansburg. Cooster uh, carried 12 times, 172 yards, on defense, he made an interception. Uh, big win uh, for the Spartans there. And we had a couple others. Uh, yeah, here's a familiar name as well. Um, Bishop Carroll's Todd Koenig. He needed only six carries on October 10th, 2003 for 175 rushing yards. Touchdown runs of 80, 62, and 13 yards and a 48-14 win over host Somerset. Koenig also had a 63-yard TD pass reception. And the Huskies had more than 500 yards in total offense 20 years ago. All right, that was our Friday flashback. And now, Mike, I, I'm going to come at you out of left field with this one. Uh -oh. All right, so working on something uh, to entertain a few friends. I was looking for a kazoo cover of a certain song on YouTube, and I couldn't find it. Now you're probably thinking, what the heck is Sean doing looking for a kazoo cover? That's between me and the people I was trying to entertain. Nevertheless... I didn't find the song that I was looking for, but I found a kazoo cover that was actually really, really good. And if somebody really, really wants to hear it, get at me, scurtisatribdem.com. I will send you the YouTube link. But I found a kazoo cover, at least of the opening interlude to Europe's The Final Countdown. Oh and it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> You're thinking a kazoo, this is going to be a joke. It'll probably start as a joke, but like, it actually turned out to be really good. It was mixed really well because it was one person playing all five kazoos in harmony. It was actually very good. But it threw me back a little bit because that was a staple of the Laurel Valley Marching Band. The final countdown, that was the bridge between the third and the fourth quarter. 
as God intended the final countdown to be a pep song for any high school marching band. The final countdown, bridging the third and the fourth quarter. I will die on this hill. Nevertheless, so I'll throw this out to you. and, And I'll say this as the final countdown was probably not my favorite song that was a staple of the Laurel Valley Marching Band. That goes to Gonna Fly Now, which you might remember as the theme from Rocky, which was Laurel Valley's tunnel song, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of high school football over the years. And I understand that usually you weren't the one to wax poetic about the marching bands. It was usually Corey Eisenberg's yeah. role yeah. when she was with us here at the Tribune Democrat. But we've seen a lot of high school football over the years, both as a student and also as a reporter, and sometimes even as a fan. Is there one or two possible staples that you just think of a song and you just go, oh, hey, that was X marching band. That was Y's marching band. And what song do you look forward to hearing knowing that you're going to see a team and you're like, okay, well, hey, the marching band's going to play this song? Wow. The one I remember... I don't know how much I look forward to it, and I don't know if they still play it, but uh, back in the day, uh, the Portage Marching Band would always play a song that it was like an instrumental, and I actually mm-hmm. had the 45 when I was a kid. It yes. was, I could still see the yellow label. It was called The Horse, I believe. Laurel Valley played this, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be – my wife always tells me how bad I sing, and so, so I don't want to do <laughs> – it's playing in my head right now. I'm sure our listeners but, will uh, thank yeah, you. We, uh, that, that's one there, and, uh, you know, Cambry Heights uh, – Back in their heyday, of the, they, they, they wore the kilts and everything. They had mm-hmm. some really good ones. I remember a time when Forest Hills played at Slippery Rock in the playoffs and the other team's band, and I can't remember who it was, but I couldn't believe they played uh, uh, Led Zeppelin. Um, I think it was the Immigrant Song, which I thought nobody in their right mind would ever play that for a band, but it was you know where they start out with the yeah. kind of the Robert Plant does the the yelping there. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, th- those are a couple there, uh, but uh, – yeah, definitely a, a lot of times. Now that I'm on the spot, I'm having trouble thinking. There's definitely ones where I, th- I remember thinking, wow, they did a good job. And I, at that first game of the year that I covered at Conemaw Valley, I noticed the one thing with that co-op there, the Conemaw Valley band looked like the the old days of Greater Johnstown. When my daughter was in the band, there'd be like 100 people in the band. Well, with Ferndale and Conemaw Valley together, they played really well. Uh, the, the band director up there, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he always did a good job when he had his own squad, let alone one that was that big. And uh, the Portage band also that day uh, – I will throw out a couple more. Um, United, and I don't know if they they still do after the merger of Black Lake Valley to become United Valley. Somebody get at me with uh, the truth on this. I just have not seen United Valley since the merger. And that was the United Marching Band would always play, and it would just play incessantly, Van McCoy's African Symphony. And that's one of the, like, you just hear those opening drum cadences. And I feel like I've talked about this recently on the podcast, probably like one or two weeks ago. That, that's just a song that makes me think of football. And another one, this comes way back. And I do not think, at least I did not hear it this when I went to see Chestnut Ridge earlier in the season. But I can remember going to cover a Chestnut Ridge game. And I think it was at Glendale back in 2006 or 2007. And between the third and the fourth quarter, I think it was like right when the band reassembled after the halftime show, after they went and got their snacks, concessions, and whatever, they busted out probably a song that I never expected to hear. You talked about, you spoke about the immigrant song being a song, oh, I never thought a marching band would play it. Growing up listening to a lot of punk and a lot of ska, I became a Mighty Mighty Boston's fan. 
Mm. Now you would think, okay, like Sky, you've got the elements with the trumpets and you know the other you know brass instruments that like it would tran you know would translate pretty well to marching bands. But like in my head, I'm 26, 27 years old. I'm not thinking, oh well, I'm gonna hear a mighty mighty Boston song at a high school football game. Just not Ridge busted out the impression that I get. And some of you right now are nodding your head and going, I know that song. Other people, you probably just don't know the name, name of the song, but you, trust me, you mm. if you've been alive in the past 25 years, you've heard it. And I just thought that was like one of the coolest things. And it's not even in the top 10 of my favorite Mighty Mighty Boston songs, but it was just really neat to hear something that I listened to as a kid that I'm like, oh, I'm so counterculture. I'm so underground. I'm listening to this <laughs> band that nobody else has heard of, even though that was a song that kind of blew up the Mighty Mighty Boston's. That, you know, I'm hearing a marching band play. And now sometimes I'll hear songs from whenever I was a kid or even like in my early 20s or whatever that marching bands are playing. And I'm like, I, I sometimes I feel old. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is made it to a marching band song. What, what am I doing with my life? Yes. But I thought you were going to ask the produ our producer, Vaughn, to put on the end of this show the, the kazoo of the uh, final countdown. <laughs> I, I don't know if we can. Um, <laughs> Though I, I will uh, leave a note uh, in for Vaughn in our uh, post-production uh, email about that, and uh, Maybe if he wants to, if he wants to toss it in, he can. I just don't know if we could get away with it just because of copyrights and all yeah. that stuff. So I, I don't want to like make a promise that we can't keep. But I can promise you this: it is week seven of the high school football season. We are going to be back next week with another edition of the TD Club. But for Mike Mastovich, Masty eighty one on Twitter or X, Mike Masty on Instagram. I am Sean Curtis, Sean Curtis 430 on Twitter and X, Threads, Blue Sky, and also Instagram. We are thanking you for listening to another episode of the TD Club. And as always, congratulations, you have made it to the end.